We're so honored that you joined us for this week's message here at Hope Church in Kalispell, Montana. Our hope is that you will be encouraged and challenged in your relationship with Jesus. Be blessed as you listen to this week's message. Well, good morning, Hope Church. Good to see you on this Super Bowl Sunday. I love that we get to come to a church that we can have fun in church. Amen? Yeah, I'm sorry if this uh, is a distraction to you, but I got to represent my New York football giants. It's okay if your pastor preaches in a jersey. All right, we can be holy and still have joy, can we? We can be holy and still have fun in church. I believe that. And so we're just so grateful. Hey, we love team here. It just so happens that on Super Bowl Sunday, you might have noticed when you walked in, we've got some tables all along in the sanctuary here. And today, is, is we are celebrating our Hope teams. Do me a favor. If you are part of one of the Hope teams, would you just slip your hand up? Look at that. These are the people right here. These are the heroes of this church right here. Thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. We love team. We believe that God operates in team. In fact, I was thinking about it. Jesus changed the world with 12 men. 12 men changed the world, turned the world upside down. Amen. What could God do with the people in this room? Come on, where's your faith level this morning? I hope you came full of faith, full of hope and what God wants to do in this service. But we love our hope teams. We love the people. We honor the people that serve in this church. And because we do that annually, once a year, we have something we call hope celebration where we have a banquet for you, we have some good food, we celebrate you, we honor you, and we have a theme every year that makes it a little bit fun. Check this out. This year, you want to know what the theme is? You want to know? It's the 80s. Come on. Who doesn't love the 80s? Come on. Is that the best decade ever or what? So I hope you got I hope you still have some parachute pants in your closet and some neon. Ladies, I hope you're ready to tease your hair out and get your valley girl on and put on some Duran Duran and come to the Hope Team celebration. If you aren't a part of Hope Team, guess what? I got good news for you. You can join up a team and you could come on February 19th, Friday night. You could come to that celebration. We're going to have a good time. We're going to party together. We're going to celebrate all that God is doing and has done in this church for almost 45 years in this valley because of people just like you. Amen. So mark it on your calendar. You're not going to want to miss it. All right. I am ready to preach to you the final installment of this message series that we've called Sword and Shovel. Sword and Shovel. Based on the book of Nehemiah, this is the last week. And I think it's a fitting week as we dive into chapter 6 of the book of Nehemiah. If you have your Bibles, you want to get that out and get ready for some word. Who's ready for the Word of God this morning? Would you do me a favor? Would you stand to your feet as we read the Word of God together? I love the Word of God. I believe in the Word of God, that the Word of God has the power to change us, transform us, to lead us into truth. And so I'm going to share with you what I believe is carefully picked out portion of Scripture this morning that I hope will bless you and encourage you, challenge you, convict you. Nehemiah chapter 6, if you haven't figured it out by now, there's a common theme in the book of Nehemiah, and that is there's a lot of opposition going on, that there is this invisible world, invisible war that you and I, every day when we get up, we face. We can feel it, but we don't necessarily see it all the time, but we know that there's something opposing any time that we make a decision and a commitment that we want to pursue God. 
and we want more of God in our life and we want to live for something greater than ourselves to make an eternal difference. That's something that we believe in. It's part of the vision of this house that we're called to make an eternal difference. There's a lot of good things that we could do with our life, but the best thing is that we could do with our life is to make an eternal difference. And Nehemiah and the people of Israel are embarking on something that is about to make an eternal difference. And yet they're opposed at every turn, every decision, every time they put their hand to it. Just like when you make a determination that you are gonna pursue God and change, you're gonna face opposition. And so the title of this passage is Further Opposition to the Rebuilding. And I'm like, come on, can we just get past the opposition for just a moment? Can we just relax for a moment and unwind, kick our feet up and put it on cruise control? And the reality is, is as long as you're working, warfare is going to come at you. And so is Nehemiah and his friends. And we pick up chapter 6. And when the word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, their enemies, the Arab and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it. I love that. Sometimes when we're working with God, we got gaps, don't we? We got gaps in our faith, gaps in our beliefs, gaps in our actions, and we need to close every single gap. We don't want to leave anything open for the enemy to come in. And it says, though not a gap was left in it, and though up to that time I had not set the doors in its gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let's meet together on one of the villages on the plain of Ono. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> but they were scheming to harm me, so I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying out a great project and cannot come down. Do me a favor, turn to your neighbor and say, I'm carrying out a great work. And I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave and go down to you? Four times, look at our enemy is relentless. He doesn't just leave it there. Four times they sent me the same message and each time I gave him the same answer. Then the fifth time, Sanballat sent his aide to me with the rest of the message, with the same message. And in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written. It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it is true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king, so come, let us meet together. And I sent him this reply. Nothing like that what you're saying is happening. You are just making it up in your head. And they were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get weak for the work, and it will, be, and it will not be completed. And I love this. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. But I prayed... Now strengthen my hands. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your word that encourages us, that strengthens us, that convicts us, that challenges us, that changes us. God, I pray, put your hand on your heart. I pray this morning that your word would not return void. And right now, we choose to put away all distractions.
and we focus in on you and what you want to say to us. God, I believe that every time we gather, you have something that you want to speak to each one of your kids. And today I pray that they would not only hear it, but that word would be like a seed planted deep within their soul, that it would take root and that it would produce fruit in their lives, that it would help change them and help lead them into the fullness of everything that you have for them. And now would you turn your attention and pray with me. I want you to intercede with me for our nation. God, we thank you for this great nation called the United States of America. Father, we thank you that you called this nation, that you set this nation apart from the beginning, God, that this is one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. God, would you return this nation back to a nation that is under your authority, under your word, under your power, under your principles. God, would revival sweep across this great nation once again. God, would you awaken your church? Would you revive your church? Would you remind your church of the great commission that you have for us, God? God, our country is not going to change by politics. It's only going to change by your power. And so, Father God, we pray for our President Joe Biden. We pray for our Vice President Kamala Harris. God, would you surround them with godly leaders, godly counselors. God, would you draw them to the heart of the Father by the power of your Holy Spirit and help them lead our nation back to you. In Jesus' mighty name. Now I want to pray for our church. God, I pray revival would start right here. Why not us? Why not now? God, God, would you pour out your spirit upon us? Would you awaken us? God, would you, would you bring revival to this valley? God, I know that you've pointed this valley, set this valley apart. You've brought people here. There's people in this room. There's people that are watching that you've called here to be a part of what you're doing here in this valley. God, we say we surrender to your will. Let it be done right here, right now, as it is in heaven, in Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. You may be seated. Take your seat quickly. Man, I feel the power and the presence of God in the room. I want to talk to you about the distraction trap. The distraction trap. See, Nehemiah, they were about 90% of the way done rebuilding the wall. 90%. They've been working day and night hard, in the evening, in the morning, they were taking shifts. Whole families were working. By now, we know that the, the wall, the Bible says the wall was completed in 52 days. That is a miracle. That is a miracle. That's a quick work from God. Isn't it amazing? Some of you, you, you think change. When am I going to experience change? When God's in it, it can happen quickly. It can happen like that. You could be in a service like this, and there's something that can shift. I love what Marty was saying about breakthrough, that sometimes God in a moment can break through. But sometimes breakthrough can come in all the little moments that lead up to the one moment where you finally realize, I'm changed, it's finished, it's over. Something shifted. God's doing something new in me. And I think sometimes we take for granted those little steps day in, day out, the faithfulness, the faithful people. I don't take for granted the faithful people that are sitting in this room. I wouldn't even be up here speaking to you right now if it wasn't for faithful prayer warriors praying for me. If it wasn't for godly men and women that said, Pastor Lance, we're standing with you. We're standing by you. We're praying for you. There's people in this room that have been a part of this church for years. They're the faithful, but unfortunately, they're the few. Because too many of us, just like what could have happened, 
to Samba, what, what could have happened rather to Nehemiah is he could have, through some of the earlier oppositions, been too discouraged to keep on with the work been so discouraged because of the opposition from the enemy. And now we see a shift. Do you know one of, the, um, one of the names for Ono, when you look up that word Ono, and I studied it, there's a couple of connotations that come with that, the plains of Ono. And one of them is that it was a valley of craftsmen. Valley of craftsmen. Another one is that the, the root word for the, the valley is, is actually a different name. It's called like Kirishim or something like that. And it, and, the, and it means the valley of young lions. And I thought, how interesting that what the strategy of the enemy changes depending on what works or doesn't work at the time. In other words, he's crafty. He knows just the right time to strike and when to strike and what to hit you with. And he's, he's crafty. He waits. And I thought that was interesting that the Valley of No-No, where, oh no, where Sambalot and the enemies of Nehemiah in opposition to building the wall were trying to get them down from doing the work that God had called them to, the good work that God had called them to, just come out into the plains of Ono. That's the place that it, it sounded like they had good intentions. Like, just come out and meet with us. We want to talk this over. We, we want to, you know, figure out a way we can work together and maybe we can mutually help each other. But what, but what Nehemiah had enough wisdom and, by the way, enough discernment to know and to see through it that this is a trap, that this is a distraction, and that, and, and so here's my first point. He realized and he was smart enough that if the devil can't destroy you, all he has to do is distract you. And so all the tactics that he used in the past to try to get them down from the wall and to try to destroy them by discouraging them and even threatening them, those things didn't work. They kept on building. And now the wall is getting close and they recognize, see, my Bible says that the devil is like the serpent in Genesis, that he's more crafty than all the animals. He knows and he's got different plots and schemes, and he's also like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And I think it's interesting that they wait until they're just about done rebuilding the wall, and he comes to them probably when they're getting tired, when they're getting worn out, maybe burnout. And he comes, and he pitches this idea, hey, come hang out with us on the plains of Ono. I don't know about you, but my mind thinks of something like this. It's like, hey, take a break. You deserve it, Nehemiah. Hey, you're the leader. Let these guys continue to work. You just come with me. It's kind of like um, I went on vacation a couple of years ago to this all-inclusive resort in Mexico. It was amazing. But um, ever since my wife and I went on that vacation, every once in a while, I'll get a phone call from George. And George will say, Mr. Lance, Hi, it's me, George, from the Villa del Parmar. Hey, how is the winter weather, sir? Would you like to come down to the nice palm trees and sit by the pool and relax a little bit? You're working hard. You deserve a break, Mr. Lance. Come on, we got nice drinks and good food. It'll be good for you. Just kick your feet up a little bit. Relax, have a good time. Get out of the winter weather. And a day like today, if, if George called, I'd be like, yeah, man, sign me up. I'm out of here. 
get me out of this minus three degree weather. I could use a little sand between my toes, right? And I could just imagine that this is going on. They're trying to lure Nehemiah away with comfort and get him to compromise just a little bit so that he stops the good work that God is doing. Come on out to the, to the paradise of Ono. We got a nice hammock sitting here for you. We're gonna put a little pineapple drink in your hand with one of those little umbrellas, you know, and, and you can just relax for a little bit. Kick your feet back. You don't have to work so hard. But Nehemiah sees it because he knew, he said, they intended to harm me. And this is exactly what the enemy wants to do with this. If he can't destroy you, he knows all he has to do is distract you enough. Because when he distracts you, he steals and robs your time. Your most valuable commodity in this life. None of us are guaranteed. In fact, in a tragedy I heard tomorrow, you can pray. In fact, can we, do, can we just stop for a moment? I want to pray for that family in Evergreen. The Croft family. The Croft family. What's the mom's name again? Jean. And, and the son's name was Tommy? Tommy. I don't know how many of you heard about it, but a tragic accident. 18-year-old man in Evergreen. Um, his mother is a teacher at Evergreen Junior High where we serve and our Hope is Here project. Tragically killed, thrown from his truck and, and killed instantly. And, uh, and our heart just breaks. And we're hosting the memorial service here. And, um, and my heart just goes out. And, and what it does when I heard about that, my heart sank. 18 years old. That shouldn't happen. That shouldn't happen. But it does. And we don't realize how short time is. We, we get so distracted with doing life that we could actually be missing out on what life's really all about. The most important things in life because we take for granted our greatest commodity, which is time. So I want to just take a moment. Can we pray? Father God, we pray for Jean. Jean. God, we lift up Jean and, and the whole Croft family to you. God, we pray that you surround them with your presence. God, in the middle of this tragedy, in the middle of their pain, would you surround them with your presence? Holy Spirit, you're the comforter. God, they need your comfort right now. We pray, Holy Spirit, that right now you surround them. You surround them. God, that you would protect them, protect their mind, protect their heart from every fiery dart of the enemy that would try to create separation between you and them because of this tragedy, that they would not believe the lies of the enemy. God, we just declare over their family and over their life that you are good and that you continue to have good plans and you're going to work good out of this even though we can't see it right now and even though we mourn and grieve with them for their terrible loss God we lift them up to you and we pray that you be with them God let your will be done surround them surround the girl that was in, in that accident as well we pray that you bring healing to her and God I, I pray that you just cover her heart and mind cover the whole family's heart and mind in Jesus name amen Amen, amen. We don't realize the Bible talks about time and our life being like a vapor. It's here today. It's gone tomorrow. And if we're not careful, we can let things that are meaningless take us away and rob and steal our time, our talents, the gifts that God put in us. We could be using our treasure. We could be using our, our finances and our money for things. We're giving it to things that at the end, the Bible says that someday we're going to stand before our Creator and we're going to have to give an account. Account for every word, every careless word. I believe every careless moment, every careless minute, every careless day, every careless week, 
Nehemiah was smart enough to understand that this is just a trap. This is just a distraction. It's trying to get me to come down from doing a great work down to something that doesn't really have much meaning. These guys are trying to harm me, and I can see right through it. And I think that now more than ever, when I look at 2020, I even see it as a year of distraction. Yes, this pandemic is real. Yes, the virus is real. How deadly it is, that's up for debate. But I think what could be the greatest challenge is how many things during the season have distracted us from living on mission for God and doing the great work that he's called you and me. That's why I don't care. In the beginning, we didn't know how deadly the virus was, so we shut down the church. But I'll tell you what, as your pastor, I will not shut down this church again. I don't care who says what. I am going to worship my God, and we will not forsake the gathering of the saints. It's a distraction. It's trying to pull us away. So look at the definition. This is a biblical definition of distraction. It says a pulling apart, a dragging away, a separating, a drawing, I love this one, a drawing of the mind in different directions. So we know that if the devil can't and your enemies can't get you to just habitually sin and draw you in that way, he knows that I can just destroy you by my next point that your distractions can disrupt your destiny. That he knows if he could just, just distract you enough, just pull you away enough, just drag you away by enticing you with distractions, that it can take away from the destiny that God has for you and your life. You understand that we believe in Ephesians 2.10 here in this church. That you are God's workmanship. You're his masterpiece. The, the actual um, Greek word there is the word poema. It, it gives this picture that God with your life from the very beginning, because he says you are God's masterpiece whom God had planned good works for, to do the good works that God had planned for you long ago. The Bible says that he knew you in your mother's womb. He counted every hair on your head. So if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you're a believer in the word of God, you have to be under the uh, conviction that your life was created for something greater. That we were never meant to just exist. We were never meant to just punch a clock Monday through Friday. That every single day that we get up, God has a plan and God has a purpose and there's a great work, not just a good work, there's a great work that God has for you and for me. And yet, we can get distracted from it. I want to read you a couple of statistics that I hope grips you. I hope it kind of disgusts you a little bit, and I hope it opens your eyes. Do you realize that the average person in America spends three hours a day on social media and messaging? Three hours a day. Do you know that's almost nine years of, in a lifetime? Nine years. Three hours a day, every day, for 8.75 years of our life to social media and messaging. Americans spend about 5.4 hours a day using their phones. People check their phones 58 times a day on average, with more than half of those occurring during work hours. I'm taking y'all phone away, Pastor David. 
Listen to this. Estimates suggest that in 2020, the pandemic did not help this. Did not help this, which to me is sad. In, in the hour where we should be recognizing for such a time as this, it's time for the church to rise up. We were the most distracted. Estimates suggest that in 2020, U.S. adults will spend an average of two hours and 46 minutes watching TV each day. From July 2019 to July 2020, there was a 92% spike in the time the average American household spent streaming Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, whatever you choose, according to research shared by Seven Park Data. Last month alone, the average American household streamed 662 minutes from the top streaming services, compared to 344 minutes during the same time last year. What that tells me is when we should be most on mission, we're most distracted. And I wonder if the reason why we're seeing some of the things that we're seeing in our culture happening that we don't like and that we complain about on social media, that if we would just remove some of those distractions and focus on the greatest work that God has called you and me to, that we get to be a part of this thing called the church, the greatest change and transformation agent in the world that God instituted to bring hope and to bring life, that if we would just stay on mission, and not allow ourselves to be distracted. What could God be doing right now on the earth? Now, I love, I love to read. I think leaders are readers. And, um, and there's a great book. It's a business book. And I read it when I was in business, but it's got a lot of great principles in it. And, and that book is, uh, the author is Jim Collins. And the book's name is Good to Great. And it's got some great business principles, but even more importantly, I think it's got some good life principles. Here's a quote from that book, Good to Great, by Jim Collins. I, want you to, I don't want you to just listen to this. I want you to let this quote sink into you. He says this, The truth be told, in this great society of abundance, that is the modern world, most people will wake up at the end of their lives and need to look back and accept the horrifying truth that they did not have a great life because it is oh so easy to settle for a good life. Therefore, good is the enemy of great. Good is the enemy of great. I wonder, most of us, we focus on so much on committing sin. And I know that, that sin can be one of the biggest distractions in our lives, no doubt. And we should not, we should engage in this process of, of holiness and sanctification and not sinning. And for many of us, that's a real problem. We're stuck. We're stuck and we don't know how to get free. By the way, shameless plug, um, we just started and launched something new last week called The Hub on Wednesday nights from 6.30 to 8. And uh, while our kids are having youth, we have some amazing classes. You probably heard about it if you listen to Hope News which you might have been distracted on your phone, so you might not have. So I'm just saying. We have financial peace, which is amazing. Do your finances God's way. There's a blessing in that. So many people struggle with that. We have marriage enrichment, but I gotta tell you, if you're having trouble with the distraction of sin, there's a freedom group. There's a Foundations for Freedom class. Let me just tell you some of the things that are part of that class. The tree, living out of the tree of life, 
shame, dealing with shame, dealing with unforgiveness, living life surrendered, your identity as sons and daughters, authority that every believer has in Christ, how to live out your freedom. Each class, you're gonna have declarations, you're gonna have teaching, you're gonna have Q&A time, you're gonna have ministry. Listen, if you're struggling with the distraction of sin, don't just not do anything about it. Don't just sit here week after week knowing I've got this habitual sin in my life and it's become such a distraction, I can't focus on the great work that God wants me to have. You need to get some freedom. Stop being so distracted. But I think, listen, for the most of us in this room, I don't know that the problem is that we're distracted with habitual sin. But what if what the enemy comes to you with isn't just trying to get you to bite into the apple of sin, but what if he comes to try to distract you with good things? What if he's such a master and a craftsman that he takes the blessings of God and uses it as a bait? What if we've gotten so accustomed to living the American dream and living life in America that we become so comfortable and we have such convenient lives that that the blessings that come with being afforded of living in this great nation have now become a distraction? That, that the enemy's so good that he'll use the good things in your life, the blessings of God, to distract you just enough that he doesn't care if you come to church and he doesn't care if you have the blessing of meeting in a small group just as long as you never take what God deposits in you and use it for something great outside the church. In other words, you never use the the shovel in your life. You got enough sword, you got enough of the spirit, you got enough of the word of God. And that's the problem, I think, in the American churches. We're so fat with the word of God, and yet we never give away what we've been deposited and given us. We're not engaging in the great work. We could be, this is good, but what's greater is when we take what happens here and we bring it out there. I don't know about you, but I didn't become a pastor and leave my nice, comfortable, cushy business job, making a lot of money, traveling the world. I left it not to just have a comfortable life, but I left it to do something great for the kingdom of God. Because I looked at the corridor of my life and I said, I got this many years left, maybe, to make a difference. And I don't want to just make a difference. I want to make an eternal difference. I want my life to count for something. I don't want to just make a lot of money and have a good career career and do some good things. I want to do a great thing. And the greatest thing is when we do the most important thing. So we've given in to the distraction of entertainment at the cost of the eternal. In my life, I'm just giving it away because I'm so distracted that it's robbing me of my destiny. And so good things like you could have a good hobby. You could have hunting. Hunting's a good thing. But, but a good thing can turn into a bad thing when a good thing turns into a God thing. When it starts taking so much of your time that you don't have any time. I can't tell you how many times I've heard some people say, I would love to serve in the church, Pastor Lance. I just don't have any time. So my question would be, are you spending your time are you, or are you investing your time? because there's an important difference. Too many of us make money, and if you don't invest that money and use it to make more money, then you won't have any money left. And, and you've got 
God has given you the gift of time. He's given you the gift of the talent that he's deposited in you. And, and here's the principle. Here's a kingdom principle. We have to understand, if you don't use what God has given you for his kingdom, he'll take, my Bible says, listen, he'll take it away and give it to somebody who's using it. In the parable of the talents, God gives each one, each one, he gives them something. So there's no excuse. You all got something. God's deposited in you. He gave to one, one talent. He gave to another five. He gave another 10. And then he came back to see, did you spend it or did you invest it? The one that had 10, he invested it and he got 10 more. The one that had five, he invested it and he got five more. And he said, well done, my good and faithful servant. But the one he said, no, I just held on to it. I, you might as well have spent it, bro, because you didn't use it for anything. You didn't, you didn't take what I've given you and multiply it. God's kingdom is a, a multiplication kingdom. He never gives you anything that he doesn't expect you to invest in, to multiply. That's the kingdom of God. So we could do all these good things, but we could be missing out on the greatest thing. What if you started investing your time into kingdom things? Yes. What if? First uh, Corinthians, now, now the church in Corinth was struggling, and I think this is where a lot of us struggle, is, is its neutral territory. Like what things, they were, they were asking Paul, what things can we do? I want to know, is it right or wrong? Because they didn't care so much about investing their time in the great things. They just wanted to know, what's okay for me to do as a Christian? I wonder how many of us spend so much time just wondering, what's okay with God? What am I allowed to do? And it might be something good, but it doesn't make an eternal difference. And this is how Paul responds in 1 Corinthians 10, 23. He says this, he says, all things are legitimate because we got freedom in Christ right? But they started taking their freedom in Christ for granted a little bit and started taking liberty to, to use their freedom for an occasion for the flesh, that I'm going to use the blessings of God for myself. See, the blessings of God never were meant just to be for me. We are blessed to be a blessing. What, what God deposits in should be coming out. And if you really want to be blessed, then you start using the blessings of God for the kingdom of God and allow yourself to be a conduit. That's why I just pray, God, I want to be a conduit for your power. When I, when I, when even when I speak to you, I want to be a conduit for what you want to, your word, what you want to speak to your people. I want to be, I want to have nothing in me that it flows in me and it flows out of me. But too many of us, we're like a reservoir instead of a river. We're keeping all the blessings. We're keeping our time. There's nothing wrong with going camping on the weekends. There's nothing wrong with going hunting. There's nothing wrong with going shopping. There's not even anything wrong. I'm not, not anti-social media. I'm not against Facebook. I'm not against Netflix. But it becomes a trap when it becomes too much of a distraction to rob and steal your time, your talent, and your treasure. And so here's how it happens. I'll just, I'll just go on because the, the Facebook is neutral. Do you know that Check it out, Nehemiah, Nehemiah, they asked Nehemiah to come and meet in a neutral place. It's the gray areas that get us in trouble. The gray areas that distract us. He didn't say come to the enemy's camp because he knew he would never go there. He doesn't do that. He doesn't just bait you with porn. He tells you, hey, just go on the internet a little bit. Just scroll on Facebook for a little while. Just throw, scroll down the Instagram. Just look in the search. And as you're searching, all of a sudden, you see a picture. And, oh, 
let me see that. And you look at that one and it leads to another picture. And before you know it, you end up on a, on a site you never should be on and you're trapped. I got you because I distracted you just enough. And now when we give in to that, and you know what, if we go on Facebook for 15 minutes, it ain't gonna kill you, right? But if you go on for 15 minutes now, and you go on 15 minutes later, and you go on 15 minutes later, and now you're creating a habit of distraction. And the habits of our distractions are trapping us in a lifestyle of being distracted. Man, we're living in a day and age where there is more distractions. There's things beeping at us, tweeting at us, buzzing at us, vibrating at us, yelling at us. Everything is screaming. I can't even go to the gas station and pump gas anymore without a little screen talking to me now, trying to tell me, sell me something or speak to me something. And now, you know, too many of us, we're watching a movie and we're on our phone. We're so torn apart by distractions, we can't focus on anything. And because we can't focus on anything, we are trapped in things that don't really matter. He says this, going back to that 1 Corinthians. He says, all things are legitimate, permissible, and we are free to do anything we please, but not all things are what? Helpful, expedient, profitable, and wholesome. All things are legitimate, but not all things are constructive to character and to edifying to spiritual life. Things that really matter. Yeah, I can do all things, but is it really benefiting me? Is it benefiting the God in me, the, the call of God in my life, the destiny and the purpose that God has me alive for? That's my reason for being alive. It's the reason I'm sucking air. It's the reason I got up this morning. I love, I, I love the story of, of Mary and Martha. And two women, amazing women, both of them doing good things. But in Luke 10, 39, look at the account. There's a difference between the two women. I want to point it out to you. She had a sister, Martha. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. She's focused. She's honed in. She's not distracted. But Martha. You know, we give Martha a hard time in church a lot. But there's a part of me, I'm grateful for Martha's. I'm grateful for people that get things done. I'm grateful for the type A personalities in the Enneagrams 1 and 8s. Otherwise, nothing would get done in the church. The visionaries like Pastor David and me, it's like, I'm just, I'm just envisioning the kingdom of God while other people are actually building it. So I'm grateful for the Marthas. It isn't that Martha wasn't doing anything wrong. She was actually doing something good. Pull that scripture back up. It says this, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. Just like, hold that scripture up there if you would. Just like in the morning, that if you, you could get easily distracted on all the things on your to-do list, and you can miss out on the greatest thing, the first thing that we should be giving our attention to that sets the whole rest of the day in motion. It says she was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him, Jesus, this is funny. You ever go to Jesus trying to complain? <laughs> Lord, don't you care that my sister over here has left me to do all the work? Tell her to help me. Tell her to get up off her lazy butt, stop sitting at your feet and do something. And Jesus kindly rebukes her. He says, Martha, 
Martha, you know it's serious when he uses your name twice. Kind of like when I call my kids. If I use your name twice, you better get here, son. <laughs> Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. You know that word, that, that word worried in the Greek is the word marinoma or something like that. <laughs> I try to say it really fast so you can't even catch what I'm saying because I don't even know what I'm saying half the time when I try to say these Greek words. It's all Greek to me. But the word means that you're pulled apart, distracted. See, it wasn't that Martha wasn't doing anything good, but she wasn't doing anything great. And doing something good had actually become a distraction to her. Do you know that the greatest thing in your life, that your greatest yes will be a direct result of your greatest no's? There's a temptation, right? The trap is I get up in the morning and the first thing I want to do is check my phone. Anybody message me? Check my emails. Check Facebook. Scroll through Instagram. That's a, that's a trap. If I get on that, I'm already gone. My attention is gone. My, my mind is gone. My heart is gone. Somebody texts me about something and I forget it. Look what he says. He says to Martha, look at how he finishes this whole passage. He says, you're distracted and worried about many things. Put that scripture back up if you would. But few things are needed. Indeed, only one thing, the greatest thing. You're doing a good thing, but you're missing the greatest thing, the one thing that is greater, and it will not be taken away from Mary. Listen, sometimes I think we think it's a waste of time to spend coming to church. There's some of you watching online, you might think it's a waste of time to come to church. It's a waste of the Pastor Lance. I've tried to read my Bible. I try to spend time with God. It feels like I'm just wasting time. Listen, there is nothing wasted when you give your first part of your day to God. The, there's, there's a principle here. Look, look you got to get it from the very beginning. It's, it's called the principle of first fruits. It's that we give God our first and we give God our best. And if you'll be willing to put away, this is where, this is my third point. You got to distance yourself from distractions in order to draw close to God. You can't have both. That's called double-mindedness. It's called, it's called, in fact, James 4, 7 says, therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands. Remember Jesus, he said, if your right hand causes you to sin, do what? Cut it off. Purify your hearts. You what? Double-minded. You distracted. You're torn in two different directions. You could be even sitting in a service like this and in the parable, the seed and the sower, it says the reason why you're not growing spiritually is because when the word comes, it never has an opportunity to actually plant deeply in your spirit and bear fruit. Why? Because it says the cares of this world choke it out. You've been thinking too much in the worries of this life. You're distracted by them. There are distractions. So if, if the good things in this life, if the blessings, if the enemy can't use the blessings as bait to distract you, what about the internal things? What about the fears? If he can't use things externally to oppose you, maybe it's the things inside of us that are actually the greatest distractions. The fear, the worry, the anxiety, 
we get up in the morning and we got all our things to do and we're wondering how we're gonna pay our bills. How am I gonna fix my car? How, how, how am I gonna save my marriage? How I've got, I wake up with this emptiness and God, how are you gonna deal with my depression? How do I, how do I face my addictions and my habitual sins? How do I deal with the reality that I'm weak and I wanna do something great for you, but I don't even know if I have the strength, I'm tired, and the enemy comes to distract you in the moment you ever heard of the acronym HALT? When you're hungry, when you're angry, when you're lonely, when you're tired, he knows exactly when to strike. That's exactly when he struck Jesus. 40 days in the wilderness. I'm tired, I'm hungry, I'm probably a little ticked off at God because he led me in this wilderness and I don't understand why. And oh man, the Holy Spirit just told, some of, told me to tell some of you, you're in a season and you don't understand why. And if you'll just trust God, resist the devil, and you'll stay faithful, God will prove himself strong in you. If you resist the temptation to be distracted and to give up. There's some of you in this room, in this season, I think so many people, it breaks my heart to hear about pastors and leaders that have given up the ministry during 2020. The enemy knows that you're worn down, you're tired, some of you are lonely, you're angry, you're frustrated, there's a tension inside of you. And in those times, you just wanna escape. You just wanna escape, and he'll put out some distraction to you and say, come on, let me just get you away from that wall. Let me just get you away. You, you are being discipled. You're growing in Christ. But it gets hard, God, and I'm tired, and I'm frustrated. I don't understand why you've allowed these things to happen in my life. Every time I, I seem to go forward, it seems like I get a setback. And God is saying, do you trust me? If you're going to trust him, then you need to learn this. You need to learn to be still and know that I am God. And this is the biggest problem we have. We're so distracted by things that we never take time like Mary to actually stop and sit at the feet of Jesus. And some of us were missing out on the grace of God to strengthen us, to give us the very strength that we need to keep going, to keep moving forward. To, to take steps every single day I'm going, I'm drawing closer to you, God. Some of you are gonna have to make some hard decisions. Your greatest yes will be because of your greatest no. But I wonder if the things that we're fighting on the inside, sometimes your greatest opposition, the, the noise of the greatest opposition will be only as loud as your internal insecurities. I'm gonna say that again. Your external opposition will only be as loud as your internal insecurities. Peter, walking on water. Jesus is out there. They think he's a ghost. The disciples are scared. And Peter has this moment of faith. God, I want to draw close to you. I want to get near you. But some of us, we feel there's such this distance. There's these waves. There's these winds. These, all these distractions between me and Jesus and getting to Jesus. And Peter says, Jesus, ask me to come to you. Because 
Peter's smart enough to know that if Jesus gives you a word, if Jesus calls you to something, he's got everything you need to sustain you, to get to him, to empower you, to live daily in communion with him, abiding in him, faithful, fixed, on fire in my spirit. And so Peter gets out of the boat. And we give Peter a hard time, right? But I love Peter. He's still the only man who's walked on water in the history of the world that I know of. And he gets out of the boat and he starts making progress, just like Nehemiah was about 90% of the way there. And, and Peter is about 90% of the way to Jesus. And instead of staying fixed on Jesus, he gets distracted. He starts to look at the wind, he starts to look at the waves, and he loses his perspective. And in that moment, he sinks. And he cries out to the Lord, and I love the graciousness of God. My hands are getting tired, God. And Jesus says, come on, I've got you. And he says, why did you doubt? You're almost there. Can I tell you, that's a word for some of you. Why did you doubt? Why are you doubting right now? You're almost there. Your breakthrough is closer than you know. Sometimes we are so much closer than we know. There's so much there that if we just don't get distracted, if we stay focused, keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. When, when Peter had his eyes fixed on Jesus, when he was focused, I'm not allowing myself to get distracted. It was then that the miracle happened. I wonder how many miracles are waiting to happen all around you, but because you've been distracted, you've been missing out on the miracle. Come on, seriously. When Peter and John, Marty was talking about it earlier, when Peter and John, they were headed to the temple, they were walking by an opportunity for a miracle. They could have been so distracted on a good thing. They were going to church. They were going to prayer. That's a good thing. But they could have missed out on the greatest thing, which was a miracle that started revival because they were so fixed on their agenda, their plan, their to-do list. What's on my mind? I'm so distracted by that that I miss out on the miracle right in front of me. Last week, Pastor Josh talked about that the greatest thing that we can do with our lives is gives our, give ourselves to other people. If people are the greatest thing, how many of us are missing out on the most important relationships right in front of us? It's sad to me. Sometimes I'll go out to dinner with my wife and, and we'll be sitting there having conversation and enjoying our time together. And inevitably, almost every single time we do that, I'll look over at another table and two people that I appear to be married, for how long, I don't know. They're sitting there on their phones, not even recognizing the fact that they're there with arguably outside of Jesus, the most important person in their life, but they're not even present because they're so distracted. So distracted. We've gotta stay focused. We've gotta stay faithful. That's day in, day out. You get up, Remind yourself what matters. Some of you, you may even need to take a picture and put it on your mirror you get ready for every morning. Take, take a picture, put it in your Bible. Take a picture, put it on your, on your car so that you have a reminder of the things that matter most in your life. Remember, your greatest yes 
will be a direct result of your greatest no. You, some of you are going to need to look at your life and reevaluate. Am I giving my time, my talent, and my treasure to the things that have the greatest eternal impact? Am I living out my destiny, or am I just wasting time? Just because you're growing older doesn't mean you're maturing. God wants you to, 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 to grow in your discipleship, but we're so distracted, we're not growing as disciples. The last thing that I'll say to you, and then we're done is that Nehemiah not only stayed fixed and focused on what God had told him to do, he stayed faithful to it. But I would propose to you that there was a third thing that he did that you need and I need, and that is he kept himself on fire. He kept the passion burning inside of him for his destiny, for his calling. He wasn't gonna let himself get distracted 90% of the way. Listen, your life isn't, you've heard the saying, it isn't how you start, it's how you finish. Higher levels, new devils. I'm almost there, but I could get distracted and I could grow weary in doing good and I could miss out on the greatest treasure, the treasure of heaven. Do you know, I like camping in the summer. Many of you camp during the summer. I wouldn't call myself an expert fire builder, but I have learned some things about fire making. In the beginning, when I was a rookie, I used to, I used to put all the logs I could in the fire because I thought the more wood, the, the hotter it's gonna burn. And I would wonder why the fire would keep going out until I realized an important distinction that fire needs breathing room. There needs to be space between the logs for the fire to come and consume and to burn the wood so the wood can burn hotter and higher and last longer. Too many of us, we've, we've put so many distractions and we're so busy, our, our schedules are so packed that we've left no room in between the logs for the fire of God to burn hot in us. And that if you would just give yourself some space, give, give God some space to do something in your life. My hands are weak, Lord. I get tired. I'm human. I've got weaknesses. I can focus so much on my weaknesses and my fears that I can lose sight. But God is the one who gives me strength. It's not by might. It's not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. When Paul looked at his weaknesses and he pleaded three times with the Lord, he said, God, you got to take this away. It's a distraction in my life. God said something to him that I want to close and say to you. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. He says, it's in your weakness that my power is made perfect. Once Paul got a hold of that, he said, oh man, I've been distracted by my weakness, not realizing that my weakness is an invitation to his power. And that if I allow myself to just put my hands out like this, come on, just put your hands out. I just want to pray for you now. I've talked long enough. I want the Holy Spirit to do something inside of you. Some of you came into this place this morning tired, weary of doing good lost the passion. You've taken your eyes off the prize. You've taken your eyes off Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. 
what God began in you, he promises to see it through to the end. That good work, he will complete it. The Bible says, don't grow weary in doing good, but in due time, he'll lift you up. There's a reward. But I just feel in my spirit as we close that some of you are just tired. You're tired. You're worn out. Some of you are ready to give up. Some of you don't know how you're going to change. Some of you don't know how you're going to do what God has called you to do. Some of you don't even know what God has called you to do. And yet I believe that God wants to awaken something in you. And the problem is not that God doesn't have something for you. The problem is you've been so distracted, you haven't leaned into the still small voice of the Lord enough to know what he's calling you to. So I want to pray for you. Man, I, there's a part of me that just wants to come around to each one of you and grab a hold of your hand. It's just strengthen them, God. Give them strength, God. Give them strength. Stay focused. Stay fixed. Stay faithful. Stay on fire for you. Reminds me when I was at my brother's memorial, my brother-in-law's memorial service. He died way too young at 45. Suddenly, just like that. And I remember being in his memorial service and I was, I was looking as they put his ashes in a little box and it has a date, beginning that he was born and the date that he passed away. And there's a dash in between. And I remember looking at some of those boxes that had ashes representing people's lives in there. And there was little engravements on there like footballs and golf clubs and, and, and masks for drama and all these things, these hobbies, these good things in their life that they did with, but had no eternal difference. And I remember sitting there as tears ran down my face. And I don't know how many years I have left to live, but God, I promise for as long as I live, I don't want to be so caught up in good things that I miss out on the greatest thing. How you can use me for your kingdom. Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Hope Church. If you enjoyed this message, you can easily support the ministry of Hope Church at hopechurchmt.com give. Also follow us on social media at Hope Church MT. Be blessed and have a great week.